Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Good morning. Days. Hey, welcome to those of you who are watching on Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. I need to start with a warning, more specifically a PG-13 warning. Today we are going to talk about physical relationships, Uh, and so if you have children in the room, we're going to talk about it a lot. There's a a scene in Parks and Rec where Ron goes to a restaurant and he says, I want all the eggs and bacon you have. And the server says, okay, and she walks away and he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I fear what you heard was me saying, I want a lot of eggs and bacon. What I said was, I want all the eggs and bacon you have. What I fear is that you heard me say, I'm going to mention sex. No, I'm going to talk about it a lot today. So if there are children that you do not want hear talk, me talk about this today, I recommend uh, another location. New Life Kids is an awesome place. Uh, And for everybody else in the room, I know that you woke up this morning saying, you know what I really want today? I want to hear my pastor talk about sex. That's what I I really want. That would just make my day. Uh, No, nobody woke up saying that. We're in a series right now called First Things First, and we're kind of talking about what are some of the hardest things in our life to put God first in? What areas of our life is it difficult to put God first in our finances, in our fears, and in our physical relationships. Today I'm going to preach out of a passage that I have never even considered preaching out of before, and I'm guessing you've never heard a sermon preached out of this passage. It's it's some advice that the Apostle Paul gave to the church in Corinth about how they should handle sexual relationships, and he says this, now regarding the question you asked in your, your letter, I'm assuming he wrote this a little sheepishly, Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Well, don't have sex. That's his advice. You are dismissed. Just kidding. There's there's more to it than that. Have you ever noticed that Eve in the garden saw goodness in the things that God said would kill her? God says, this, eating this fruit will kill you, yet she saw tremendous beauty. She was very attracted to the fruit. It didn't matter what Eve was attracted to, we know now. It mattered what God said about that thing. We think that if it's pleasurable, we should get it. This is what our world tells us. If you desire something, then you should go after it no matter what. You should get what you want. You should have your desires fulfilled. That is a very anti-non-biblical idea. In fact, it was the problem in the very beginning in the garden. No, you should not get everything that you want. Many things that you want, many things that you are attracted to will actually hurt you, are actually very bad for you. So let's read that passage in Genesis. It says, Eve saw that that the tree was beautiful 
and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. If I'm attracted to somebody, then I should be able to have sex with that person. This is the world's entire narrative. If it doesn't hurt anybody, then it's good. God says, no, I have made some things good and I have told you to stay away from other things. Sometimes God says it's good to say no to your desires. But then Paul says, okay, abstain from sexual relationships, but then he gives a concession. He recognizes, okay, you're going to fail at that one. You're human. So what does he say? He says, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband because we go crazy with lust naturally. Get married. This is his advice. I get it. This is a desire that God placed in you. And in order to have your desires met, your needs met, you should get married. Married. Have you ever noticed that us guys can make anything sexual? Like it, it takes absolutely nothing for my mind to go there. It's just biological, right? She says, Darcy says, I'm going to bake a cake. I'm going to bake your cake. I don't know. Just <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. It just happens. Hey, babe, we need to rotate the tires. I'll rotate your tires. I don't know. <laughs> he says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. I see a lot of nudging. Actually, I think this is a much bigger problem. And in pastoral counseling, we see this uh, as actually a big problem in our world today. It used to be, and the common thing to talk about was how women would withhold sex from their husbands, but now we actually see the opposite happening all the time. A bunch of guys have replaced sex with their spouses with porn. I don't need her anymore. Paul's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's why you have a wife. And the wife should fulfill Next, and his wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Guys, what if we uh, were strategic about this? If, if you are the nudger right now with your wife, what if we led ladies to sexual things by starting with something a little bit deeper? Maybe something a little bit more valuable than just, I need my sexual, my physical needs met. Ladies, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have, have ever felt just totally fulfilled by a relationship that was entirely physical, nothing else? None of us. At the end of every relationship encounter that is entirely physical, there is a feeling of there's got to be something more. There's got to be something deeper. I just don't feel fulfilled. That's why when you look at porn, you just need another one and you need more and you need more and there's never enough of it. You just got to keep going because it, it's not fulfilling you because it's purely physical. It's not fulfilling anybody. 
Sex is more, scripture tells us, sex is more than physical activity. Scripture tells us that sex is a union. It is two people becoming one person. We are designed for a deeper connection that is more than just a physical connection. Great marriages are built on a spiritual connection. They have a spiritual foundation. In most of our romantic relationships, actually, maybe even family relationships, we're used to saying the words, I love you. Whenever my kids, I make my kids apologize to one or the other one, I don't just say, say you're sorry. Because it's very easy to say, sorry. What do I say? I say, say I'm sorry for. Start with I, start with the pronoun, and then move to a direct object. What are you sorry for doing? Put more into the statement than just I love you or I'm sorry. Why? Because it's good to say I love you and some people don't even go this far. But if you will lead to a deeper connection by adding just one word at the beginning or at the end of this statement, it makes it so much better. If you say, I love you because, then add something, add something to the end of it. I love you because you're kind. I love you because you are beautiful. I love you because you take care of me. I love you because of how you treat our kids. I love you because you are generous. Because when we have conversations like this, then we've actually done something deeper than just talked about a physical attraction. We've recognized that my affection for a person is actually involved, involves much more than just a physical, physical attraction to that person. And we can build a relationship on more than just a physical attraction, right? And we all know that the physical attraction just has limitations. It just doesn't take us that far. So Paul continues, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relationships, of relations, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. In other words, the only time you withhold sex is when you are focusing on God. When you're putting God first, when you're putting first things first. What is the most important thing in your relationship with your spouse? If you say, we are built on this one thing, what is your relationship built on? Because every relationship has a hierarchy of values. Either it's intentional or not, but you've got it. I've got four boxes here that represent four different kinds of intimacy. The, the physical intimacy box is the smallest box. Why? Well, you only have one body and there's only so long you can go. Your body is going to age you're going to get less and less attractive. Sorry, it's just reality. Like, it's just limited. Physical intimacy is very limited. We like to make it into a God, but it's a really weak God. This sec second box is the social intimacy. Y you can be social with more than just one person. 
A good social group can actually build intimacy between two individuals. Some of the strongest relationships you know were actually built inside of a bigger group. We had a friend group, and then within that friend group, we started to build connections, and our friends were able to help us recognize whether this was healthy or not, and the way we inter were interacting with each other. And, and as we began to build the relationship, we could bounce ideas off our friends and, and vent when we needed to and ask for advice when we needed to, and the social relationship that were built helped our one-on-one -on -one relationship. And then there's intellectual intimacy. Usually when we think about intellect, we don't think about intellect, or intellect as intimacy. But intellectual intimacy is about shared ideas, common values. We don't have to agree on everything, but when we do agree on something, it brings us together. When we find common agreement, then we actually, our, our common values help us team up. Because there's other people who do not have those common values and they may attack our values. They may attack our ideas. And so when we have shared ideas, when we have shared values, then it helps build intimacy in our relationship. And then there's the biggest box of all. You know, I'm a pastor, so I have to say it is spiritual intimacy. And this is spiritual intimacy is what allows two people to become one in a healthy way. This is why scripture tells us it's important to be equally yoked, to be married to another Christian, because you can only have spiritual intimacy with someone that you are spiritually connected to. And it's the biggest box because God's in it. And I couldn't make the box any bigger and hold it without looking like a total idiot. No, I'm not putting God in a box. It's a metaphor. Just Put God first. Then afterward, Paul says, so put God first. Then afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because temptations will come. See, how most people in our world build relationships today is it starts with attraction, physical attraction. This is the reality of the tender world we live in. Teenagers, I hope you're up there listening well. Tinder just took a cultural phenomenon and just made it so much worse. If you don't know what Tinder is, good, just avoid it. But Tinder is this idea that I'm going to find relationship that is purely based on somebody else's look. Swipe left, swipe right, depending on what they look like. And so when you meet in this kind of way, when our relationship is entirely instigated by what you look like and whether or not I am sexually attracted to you, then that becomes a foundation of your relationship. And, and you build from there, but that's where you start. And then eventually you say, okay, the sex was good, so maybe we should go out on a date. The, the sex was good, maybe we should have a conversation. And then you go on a date and you realize, whoa, it was fine until he opened his mouth. Now we're done. I got to find somebody else. But sometimes you go on that date and, and things turn out fine and you have a conversation that actually is enjoyable in some way and you find some things that you enjoy, enjoy doing together. So then you decide, okay, let's, let's, let's scratch the surface on some important topics. Let me find out what she thinks about my favorite football team. 
Let me find out what she thinks about politics. Let me, let me find out how, what she thinks about money and, and some more important things. And then you start to share common ideas. And you, in rare cases, you find out, actually, we've got enough in common intellectually that we can continue to build this relationship. So you just keep building. But then at some point you realize it's just not working. It's the reason why so many more Christian relationships, or Christians never get divorces than non-Christians. I know you've heard the opposite, that the, that the divorce rate in the church is the same as in the world. It's a total lie. It's never been true, never been even close. Christians are far less likely to divorce, just so you know. But so they've built this relationship and it's a little bit wobbly, but so far it's standing up and you say, but it's not really fulfilling me. I need something else. Maybe we should try some church. Maybe we should try some spiritual stuff and we'll just add that on top and see how things go. And then we will have a good relationship. See what we built? Isn't it beautiful? And actually, this is how many, many, many relationships that you are in, that you know, are built. And they're standing. They're fine. It seems okay. Everybody's looking at it like I didn't put it on there right or something. You're looking at it from the outside and you're like, that looks fine. What's wrong with this? Until a storm comes. Right? until disagreements come, until, until you get a bad health diagnosis or you run out of money or she doesn't look like she used to look or, or he's not as strong as he used to be or he loses his job. Some storm happens and as soon as there is a storm, it takes nothing for this relationship to come crashing down because it's built on a weak foundation. And what, what the apostle Paul, what scripture teaches us is that if you don't put first things first, you will have a weak relationship. But he tells us to put first things first, to start with a strong foundation. Don't build your life on, a, on the sand. Build your life on the rock. Start with a spiritual relationship. Start by pursuing God. And then in your pursuit of God, you will find people on the journey. And then you begin to study scripture and you find out what does it say is valuable about relationships and what does it say is important to have in our relationships and, and to believe and, and I need to be equally yoked and make sure that we agree on what scripture teaches us and, and that we are submitting to what it teaches us and we begin to build a relationship that way. And in the journey of pursuing God, I find people who have these things in common and I join a life group and I, and I recognize that there's some other awesome people in this life group that, that we have some great things in common and I, I enjoy hanging out with these people and I look across the room and she's looking pretty good and we've already got all these things in common. And so this, within scripture tells us, within the context of a monogamous relationship, when we put... The physical, when we get married and allow the physical to be added to what our strong relationship already is, then we've got a strong relationship. That, that relationship can withstand some storms because it's built on a solid foundation. And then the physical just becomes the icing on the cake. And I don't know about you, but I think icing is pretty tasty. Like I'm happy that this is a part of the relationship. I'm happy that God gave us this gift. I'm happy that he did not make procreation a chore. He made procreation enjoyable. 
He gave us the ability to have relationships and enjoy our relationships if they are built well. If they're not built well, they just end up in a bunch of fighting and a bunch of disagreements and a bunch of pain and eventually divorce and no relationship whatsoever. To put it another way, let me get this out of the way. Put it, to put it another way, in our pursuit of God, we recognize that we, there's other people pursuing him too. But here's, how, here's the Tinder world. The Tinder world says, I'm going to look and find a girl or a guy who's attractive, who looks good, and I'm going to pursue her, and she's going to pursue me, and we're going to meet in the middle, and it is going to be beautiful. But it doesn't usually happen that way. Like, statistically, good luck. Because what often happens, what usually happens, is he looks and sees her, and she doesn't see him the way he sees her, right? And so he pursues a little bit harder. He's a little more interested than she is. So he goes farther, and, and he pursues more until eventually they're not meeting in the middle. Eventually they're meeting somewhere over here. Because she realized she didn't have to give as much. And so how, do, what, how does this play out in our relationships? What happens in our relationships is we realize, oh, well, if she's going to clean up the house, I don't got to do that much cleaning, then I don't got to meet in the middle. I'll just let her do it. She cares about if it's clean or not. I don't. Well, she cares about how we spend money. I don't really care about it. I just like spending it. So I'll let her make it and and it just becomes this tug of war, this push and pull. And we're not really meeting in the middle. It just becomes my, or my, my desires and your desires. And we're both pursuing our desires and trying to get everything we can out of it. And as soon as we don't get out of it what we want out of it, then the relationship is worthless. Because the entire relationship is built on me getting my desires met. Me getting my needs met. It's all about me. So the biblical way is, Start by pursuing God. Run after him. Study his word. Get to know him. Worship him. And in that journey, build relationships. Go to church. Make some friends. Join a life group. Meet some people. In that pursuit. Because here's what you will eventually find. You're not the only person pursuing God. There is somebody else out there who is doing the same thing. And when you first see her pursuing God and, and you're attracted to her and you're attracted to the idea that she is pursuing God, there's going to be some distance between you and there's going to be a relationship that has to be built and you're going to have to figure things out and you're going to have to work things out, work through your problems and issues and there's still some work to be done. However, rather than running to each other, as we run toward God, what naturally happens as we more and more become the people that God created us to be, as we more and more adopt his instructions about how to live our lives, as we move toward God, we actually move closer to each other. As God sanctifies us individually, he's also sanctifying us in our relationship. And I think we've got a lot, this is another reason why it's so important to be equally yoked to be in a relationship with somebody else who believes what you believe. Because we got a lot of people in this congregation who just, this isn't realistic for them. 
because they're married to somebody who's not pursuing God. So they've kind of got to do this difficult juggling act where they're pursuing God and their spouse at the same time, which sometimes feels like running in two different directions. And I'm not saying it's impossible. It's a lot, it's just a lot harder because it's not the way God designed it to be. If we find somebody else who is also pursuing God, then our common ground isn't agreeing on how much we'll do for each other. Our common ground becomes our relationship with God and our constant pursuit of him, our constant growth and maturing, spiritual maturing. Do you remember what God told Eve were the consequences for sinning? What, what, what were the consequences God told, told Eve? He listed a lot of consequences, but the one he pointed directly to Eve was this. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. I grew up reading this passage and my whole life. I've read it to believe that it meant that childbirth is hard, that labor pains are hard because Eve sinned. But that's not, I, I went back and read the Hebrew. That's not what it says at all. That's not what, this is honestly, I think a weak translation. What it actually says, what the Greek actually says is that conception will be painful. It's not about birthing. It's not about labor pains. It's conception will be painful. In other words, because of sin, relationships will be hard. It's about conceiving. He says, because you will desire to control your husband. And he, because he's stronger and he's bigger and more powerful, will wield that strength against you and he will rule over you. And we see this all throughout history. This male dominant over female is a result of sin. You're going to want to control him. You're going to want to get him to clean up the house and he won't do it. You're, you're going to want her to spend less money and she won't do it, but you're stronger and you're more powerful and you make the money. So then you force your will, will on her. And it is that sin that comes into our relationships that makes them so difficult. The consequence of Eve's sin was that procreation, that conceiving would be difficult because relationships will be broken as a result of sin. And the word pain here is the same word that God uses when he talks about how it would be painful or difficult to grow crops. It'll be difficult to be fruitful because, because of sin. Making babies is hard because of sin. There is pain in our relationships because of sin. So as we go back to the way things were supposed to be, then our relationships have less pain in them. As we become more and more the people that God created us to be, as we bring heaven to earth, as we are sanctified and we become more like him, then the relationships that we are in will be less difficult. So let's talk about you. In a room this size and with this many people watching, there are so many different relationship di dynamics that it is very tempting to oversimplify this conversation. 
to overgeneralize. It's very simple to say, well, if you just do step one, step two, step three, boom, you got a good relationship. And that's what a lot of relationship advice is. That's why I think the, the, the right way is two people pursuing God in a monogamous relationship. However, I recognize that a lot of people right now find themselves in a situation that that is not possible. So Primarily, I want to say this to the teens and to the young people in the room who are not in a relationship, who have not gone the wrong direction. I want to say, before you start going down the wrong path, do it God's way first. I promise you it will be better. I promise you it will be more healthy. But to everybody else, I realize you've lived some life since this, since you began this relationship journey. Some, you've made some mistakes You've experienced some pain. You've been hurt. And so my, my desire in this message is not to condemn anybody. Not to make anybody feel guilty for what they've done in the past. I believe in a powerful God that redeems. In a powerful God that heals. His grace is sufficient. It is bigger than we can possibly comprehend. His ability to heal relationships is more than you even think it is, even more than you can imagine. I believe in his ability to forgive. But it kind of takes at some point you saying, okay, from now on, I'm going to do things the right way. From now on, I'm going to pursue him first. I'm going to put him first and everything else comes after him. So my desire is not to make you feel guilty for where you've been. My desire is to invite you to a new beginning, to a new way of doing relationships. Put God first, seek him first, and I promise you it will work out well. God, I thank you that you have been so simple and clear in teaching us how to have relationships with other people in this world. When the Satan, the Satan tempts us off the path that you've called, you've called that you would set our eyes on you, that you would draw our attention to you, that your Holy Spirit would bring strong conviction and a desire to pursue you with all of our hearts. And God, to anybody here today who is feeling condemned, anybody here today who is feeling guilt, I pray that you would reveal your incredible grace and love to them right now. That you would show them that you love them unconditionally, but that you have a better path for them. That you give them this instruction because you love them. God, today I pray that we would put you first in all things. Jesus name. Amen.